Welcome to Hope Ahead, where we share stories of help and hope for people facing addiction and mental health challenges right here in our community. Hope Ahead is brought to you by the Virtue Center, and I'm your host, Carol Bauman. And I'm Caleb Klusmeyer. Caleb, I'm Stephen Link. Um, I'm a board member here at the uh, Virtue Center, and I'm, I'm grateful to be so. I've been on the board about three years, and I uh, I, I utilize the services of of the uh, Virtue Center in 2014, and uh, it is it is a full circle thing for me, and I'm just honored to be able to be here. I'm a Norman Norman guy since 1999. I have a wife of uh, 16 years, and two children, 11 and 11 and. Uh, Eight recently, eight. So you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a run-of-the-mill guy, is what I am. Right, but you're kind of not because you are now on the board of the very place that you received treatment in your journey to recovery for. Sure. And that's really cool. Cleverly disguised as the the mild, not not so mild-mannered neighbor, the uh, <laughs> the the loud neighbor, the the busy neighbor. So yeah, it's a remarkable thing. And, for most of us in our lives, I don't think we really spend a lot of time thinking about it. It's just our lives as we roll along. But then every now and then someone asks a question and you answer it and you think, wow, that's, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty, pretty, you know, impressive thing. And, and so you want to give credit where credit's due, but, but at the same time, it's a, it really is an honor and privilege to be able to try to serve people at the place where I came when I didn't know what else to do. So always, I know now, I know now uh, that from the first time I took a drink that it was different for me, but I had no idea for a long time it was different. First time I remember taking a drink was I was in eighth grade. And it was just 4th of July, families, friends, and a couple of us boys got a drink from And I don't remember the fireworks necessarily. I don't remember the what we had for dinner, and I remember that on, I knew I was going to do it again, for sure. I knew before that, but I wanted to drink a beer, I wanted to drink, I wanted to drink, I liked it, I was attracted to it. I don't know why, but hold on. And then, and then that happened, I just had to I remember how it tasted, I remember it didn't taste very good. It really wasn't. Beer's not good when yeah, it's you're. It's an acquired taste. Yeah, when you're 14. I mean, it's not like oh, I could use beer. No, <laughs> not at all. I just I it. But I, you know, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, and that I'll I find out years later is is telling. Um, you know, I, my wife doesn't remember her. First, she's not an alcoholic. Doesn't drink. Never has. Uh, doesn't take any drugs recreationally. Never has. Um, she couldn't tell you about any of her drinking experiences that, that if she you know did it once or twice I can tell you about my first one in detail I can tell you about the thought process afterwards immediately that I want to do that again and and said about hey how are we gonna do that and so it was the same guy's house not long after a couple of weeks three weeks later uh, a couple of us were out there uh, one of them is a, is a physician and, and owns a medical center in Tulsa and a medical center in, in Edmond the other is a uh, environmental safety manager for air gas, uh, successful guy, gone on to have a great, great life and great career. Um, and the other is me. 
the three of us decided to sneak into the fridge. We got a two liter of Coke and we got uh, four Stroh's beers. And we run out in the woods and we pass those things around. I think the reason I, I say about those guys, I don't believe it had the impact on them than it did on me right. uh, inside. I thought it had the same impact on all of us. I had no idea that there was a difference between an alcoholic mind and a, and a non-alcoholic mind. I didn't know that. We were in eighth grade. Right. Why would I know? Right. You know, but I, the, the thrill of it was Disneyland. It was, oh, I've been wanting to do this. We're going to do this. I don't know if I was drunk. All in. That's it. It's exactly what I thought it would be. It's terrific. And I'm going to keep doing it. And, and so I did. And, and so there no consequences. You know, nobody died. Nobody went to jail. There was no bloodshed. There was no heartbreak. There was just a couple of kids in the woods, right? And then so early, I, I would say I started early for, by societal standards, uh, by alcoholic standards, pretty normal, pretty on par. By ninth grade, we we had campouts. Tell our parents we're gonna you know we're gonna camp out at so and so's house, and then really we're behind the scenes working to get somebody buy a beer, somebody buy that, somebody buy that. The campout was really a way to drink alcohol, and so we we did those. And I think that I would have done it way 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 more if it was possible, if I had funds, if I had access, if I had you know all of the things that you get when you're older. Um, it, it would have accelerated. I, I had a pretty structured household. My parents didn't drink. They didn't keep liquor in the house. Um, there were expectations on me that didn't include going to the woods and getting drunk. But like a lot of kids, I tried to live up to those expectations. Uh, so, so already, like at a pretty young age, you're liking the way this is making me feel, and okay. it's like I want to do this as often and as you know as much as possible at, at, at a pretty young age. Absolutely, and I think the very beginning of it was the excitement of what we were doing not what was happening. First time I really drank where it had a consequence, where I knew I was drunk, uh, probably late ninth grade, uh, where I grew up, I grew up in Ponca City, so ninth grade was junior high, 10th grade was high school. So at the end of ninth grade, there's this big dance, peace out, we're going to high school. Well, the high school kids, that the cool kids would come by, they grabbed us at the dance, we went with them for a little bit. Like you guys aren't, you know, you're not junior high anymore. And so we, we went and rolled around and had some beers. And, and I got drunk that time. And, and I got caught that time. And it was, you, you know, your mom drops you off at a junior high dance and picks you up tripping over yourself. What the heck happened? And so uh, I got in trouble. Uh, I'm sure I got grounded. But I knew above all, I'm in. I'm doing So that. in this idyllic household, kind of next door family, would you say that your parents were naive, in denial, just completely didn't know? Are you putting on some kind of performance to hide it? I'm, I think that my mom knew. My mom knew for sure. So there, there's alcoholism in her family. And, uh, and as you get down the road, as you get older, you learn more that you weren't privy to as a young person. And my situation is not horribly uncommon in my family. Uh, but I didn't know that at the time. But my mom really knew something was up. My dad really knew my mom was upset. So there, there were efforts. There were efforts from the beginning. Um, I know what my mom was seeing and she was worried. And by the time I was 16, there was a, a, a copy of the 12 steps in a little pamphlet <laughs> on my dresser and uh, had a serenity prayer on it. And it was left there, not by an angel. Well, you know, oh, mom. Uh, but I saw it and I was so mad. And I remember taking it to her thinking, what, are you, do you, what is this? Did you put this there? Do you think I'm an alcoholic? And I was, I was so offended by it. 
as a parent, every sign was there. Right. It was not even close. Like, why do you wear a Bud Light t-shirt every day? You're 50, right? Yeah. right? No, sure. In, in high school, I'd lost my driver's license two times. Whoa. It doesn't matter. I, I lost my driver's license from the state of Oklahoma two times in a three-year period. And so one could, one could argue that always, like there was, never, there was never a middle of the road for me. Consequences were always there. Now, was I drinking more than other kids? Eh, maybe not the same, but, but the consequences, the warning signs, the this is an issue were there from the get-go. I would say my freshman year is when really, when, when kind of the, the self-imposed, the parent-imposed restraints were lifted because they had to be, because I was playing baseball. I, I got a baseball scholarship and I left and, and I went away. And um, I remember when my, when my parents left, you know, we all went up there, we moved in, I moved into the dorms. And, and as they were leaving, I was like, Ugh. and it wasn't an hour before I'd found center fielder, right fielder, a couple of pitchers and we're out at the lake because that's where the party was. And, and um, you know, hadn't been to the baseball field yet, but we, you know, it was, um, as soon as the, the, the constraints were off, it was gonna go ahead and be my way. And my way was not conducive to making it to class. Making, I'd make it to practice, but um, you know, it was, uh, it, it was immediate. There, there was never a, it's going great for a while. You know, there was a, we're gonna keep this guy right here where we can so he doesn't blow every opportunity. It, it, was, it was that year, my freshman year, I started no matter what I wanted to do, couldn't I would make a decision to not like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna drink tonight I've got to do this I've got this you know we all we all have all of that still in our lives here's what I've got in front of me tonight today tomorrow the, the next day but then so and so is also going over here right and I made that choice every time I made the other choice every time and I, and I spent more time digging out of, I mean I was in a hole from the beginning and I, I spent more time digging out of the hole so you know I'd say right away is the point where uh, I still had though. I was I was 19. I was fit. I was I could switch it on and off. I mean, I, I could do both. I could do. I would I would do the nightlife, and then if it was an hour of sleep, it was an hour of sleep. And I was in the weight room the next day um, because young people are fantastic that way. <laughs> they just are, you know. And, and so I was able to do that. But it was never. I don't. I don't. I know for a fact that I never reached anywhere near the potential of the type of person I could be, whether it be academically, um, in faith, in, in, in social uh, circles, in uh, athletics, in any of it, uh, because there was this other thing, mm -hmm. uh, this other thing that I didn't understand, but it was important, and, and let's leave it there. It's right. going to stay there. Did you graduate college? Nope. Well, I went to five colleges. So uh, I, I, my, I played baseball. I ended up getting hurt. And that's another part of it. I, uh, so it was, a, it was a junior college that I was at. I ended up getting hurt, uh, hurt my back, ended up on pain medication and stuff like that. So that kind of darkened my journey, but I wanted to play again. I tried and I couldn't. I was, you know, it was a back surgery in 1994 was kind of a big deal. So I, I just couldn't do it. And then I had an opportunity to, to transfer elsewhere where my coach knew somebody. And so I, I did and, and um, I had a shot at it there, but I just couldn't. And, I, and I, that's the first time I really remember realizing that I didn't want to work that hard. Mm -hmm. Like it was going to be hard. It, it was hard. And, and I didn't like, this is easier. And by this is easier, I mean the freedom, the ability to, to call my own shot. And, and so now I'll go to just go to school only, right? I'll go to school only and I'll, I'll party with everybody else and I'll, I'll catch up on the social side 
uh, but baseball is going to be over. And uh, baseball is what I wanted to do. And, and I, I said no. I finished. I know today that that's an alcoholic decision. I know that that's an impaired decision. Um, but in the present, right now, what I knew is this is hard. It's going to prevent this. You know, not all those pieces were there. They weren't all written down on paper, but the decision was made that I'm going to give this up for this. Mm -hmm. I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up the dream for the chemicals uh, and for, for the easier, softer way, mm -hmm. right, is what we talk about in recovery circles. It's interesting that you talk about, you know, giving up one of your passions is what you're talking about. And as clinicians, like, that's one of the things that they look at is, lying about how much they're consuming to family or friends, you know, are they losing, you know, giving up interest or passions, you know, to use more, things like that, and those are all, like you talked about, red flags uh, to someone who might be suffering from a substance use disorder, and that's just a fancy clinical way of us saying, hey, you have alcoholism or addiction problems. And I think you try to tell, try to tell the, the person that, um, and that just isn't it, because you're, you're not, you don't understand, you're missing something. And, and what I know today, what that is, is the problem, alcohol, uh, painkillers, a little pot here and there, the, the problem is actually the solution because it allows me, there's so much more going on. You know, there, there, there's a reason that I get that type of relief from that stuff. So uh, when you say the problem is the solution, the solution not necessarily being the right solution. No. Okay, but it allows me to be yeah. it allows me to be the guy that I want to be. It allows me not to be anxious and nervous and afraid. It allows me to uh, not worry so much about all these problems that I'm that are piling up on me. Uh, and so I can get out of bed and I can function because I know there's that there's that carrot at the end of the of the string there. And, and when I do put that stuff in my body, I like who that guy is. And now this is early on, obviously. At the end of it, they're miserable creatures. So you're like fun guy. Sure. Every, yeah, life of the party, that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, it allows me to be the guy who can just talk to a girl. Mm -hmm. Free and oh, easy. Yeah, yeah. It allows me to be a guy who can, can walk into a group of guys who are not 5'5", five, five, 180 pounds. A group of guys that are 6'2", 220, and feel at ease. I don't feel smaller. I don't feel... I don't feel like the guy who's got four D's and an F, right. you know, I feel, I, I, I do, I am, <laughs> but I don't feel that way. I'm not self-conscious about it. And so yeah. I can slide right in there, uh, without that stuff, no chance. So the problem in a solution is like taking a lot of boxes, Yeah. just checking them off one by one. I can do this. I can do that. Sure. Did you have any anxiety or insecurity before? Do you remember? Like I never knew kid? it. I know now. I know now as a that parent, that's what it was. as a recovering person, as a parent. Uh, watching my, my kids as they grow and I see what, what's going on with them and it's like bullseye, bullseye, bullseye. Wow. I, was in, I know I had textbook anxiety. Right. Uh, you know, all of, I, you know, depression. I know, I know I had depression early on. I had anxiety. I had, I, you know, I just, just these fears. I didn't, I didn't look right. I didn't talk right. I didn't sound right. Like I, I would, first grade, when I started first grade, we had moved from Arkansas and my accent was different. Mm. So, I worked to not talk like I was from Arkansas. I did. I never knew it. I never knew it. I changed my voice. Right. And my mom, till the day she died, said, "Come on, y'all, it's supper, <laughs> supper time." I wasn't doing it because none of the kids in Oklahoma did it. And I so, mean, come on, y'all, perfectly <laughs> acceptable here in Oklahoma. I didn't know it. I worked away from it. You know. Right. So I was, I was a, a insecure, nervous, anxious, fearful. Gosh, the fear, the fear, and I, it's still with me today. Uh, you know, and it's uh, fear, faith. What are you gonna do? You know, and and so, the I was a bundle of that, and so 
you shove that product out in the world and it's either crumble or you introduce a chemical, whichever right. it is. It, you know, right. each person finds their own. And, and yeah. for an that's why I believe I'm an alcoholic because yeah. alcoholic, alcohol solved every one of those problems as perfectly as anything could. And it did it inside of 15 minutes. What really hit home with me is the accent. I moved to Colorado to try to, you know, Oklahoma's my problem. When I was here, it was, I don't want to talk like y'all. And, <laughs> yeah, and, and I was trying so hard to, you know, not be this person and all this thing. And, and I move out of state and, um, you know, I wasn't consciously th thinking about how I was talking all the time. And I'm saying things like fixing y'all ain't and like <laughs> fixing. fixing the, what fixing are you fixing to do? Because nobody. <laughs> I'm sorry, you feel really insecure here <laughs> because this is how I talk. I'm fixing to do this. Y'all come on. Therein lies the difference. Darn it. It's never occurred yeah. to you that 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 it might be an insecurity. Uh, you know, for me, I'm looking for anything that makes me stand out and look different, feel different, uh, because I don't want I want attention, but only the right kind. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want the kind of attention where I talk funny and it's weird. Um, I want the kind of attention where, man, that guy's hilarious. Right. So, but then I get the attention and I don't know what to do with it, really. Let's just put it back on you. That's what I'm going to do. And that's where I learned humor. You know, I learned, uh, early on, I learned that humor could deflect that stuff mm -hmm. pretty well. Uh, if I'm the funny guy, I'm not the frightened guy. If I'm the funny guy, I'm not the, uh, the guy who doesn't have really any idea what's going on here at all. I don't have any clue. Um, I, I'm not plugged in. I didn't get the instructions. How do you guys know to wear that? Yeah. How do you guys know to say that? How do you know what music to yeah. listen to? Who told you about that band? That's something that I still today struggle with is acting out in humor. Sure. Um, <laughs> so you were talking about, um, and that's part of recovery is like, you know, that's the first step is being aware of, okay, like, you know, alcohol and substances have been my solution there's some deeper problem. I don't know how to fix it. I need help fixing this because I can't do this on my own. So what kind of drove you um, to that in the sense of um, what made you realize that, okay, there's something deeper than I just have a drug and alcohol problem? Um, I didn't realize it until I heard somebody say it about themselves, which is what happens in, in recovery meetings across the world every day right now it's happening so I went I got I went to treatment for the first time in 1998 which is five years after high school graduation and five colleges or four at the time four at the time I hadn't come to OU um, so everybody was moving on with their lives and no matter what I tried that's not true I don't think I ever tried to stop drinking I tried to do the rest of it better while drinking it was never a thing that I was gonna do like I'm not because I could see it. That's the hard part. I, my girlfriend at the time, her dad, wildly successful guy, and, he, and had no problem in vibing constantly. And I thought, there's my model. You can do it. It's not the alcohol. You can drink and succeed. It's possible. It's on TV. It's in movies. It's everywhere. If oh, I can... well, if it's on TV, movies. <laughs> right. Yeah. There was no internet. Means. Thank God, right? <laughs> you, you know, and so if, if I see it happening, I could do it. I'm not an acrobat or a you know, tightrope walker, but it's possible. Look, right there it is. There's somebody doing it. So there's, I see people around me who are, are drinking and having success. They, they seem to be fulfilled. Uh, their not house, getting not getting in yeah. trouble. Right, their house is fine. Their family looks good. Their cars are great. That's kind of what I'm shooting for, right? Um, so it's possible. 
So the idea of not drinking wasn't on the table for me until I think 1998, and I'd had the trouble in high school. Um, very simple Valentine's Day date, dinner, and mild-mannered, but there's alcohol involved. Um, I, on the way home, I leaned over to give my little girl a smooch on the cheek, and I pulled the steering wheel, and I hit a mailbox. Nobody hurt, nobody injured, mailbox falls down, but the, the mailbox that I hit was uh, a builder in, in, in our town uh, who I'd grown up with his daughters, uh, and they came out, and they're like, and I'm like, well, the cops show up, I get a DUI, and it's like, okay, something's gotta be done about all this, right? This is not my first run-in with the law. Uh, so to get out of the trouble, right? To get out of the trouble, I'm gonna lose my driver's license, I've gotta go to court, I've got all these things. So to get out of the trouble, uh, I was told that if I, my attorney said, if you go to treatment, you know, you can likely get your driver's license back. It was kind of the game, it was kind of the thing. And I said, okay, well then I'll, I'll do that. And I don't think at the time going, I really was, I'm gonna quit forever and be a new man. It was, you know, I've gotta get my arms around this. And I got there. And that's where I started hearing other people talk about that this is a solution, that, that my, my problem and my solution are the exact same thing. And that's a heck of a place to be, right? What, what do I do about that? Um, and you, you fast forward to all the other, the other underlying conditions, the anxiety, the fear, the, all of that didn't really come into focus for another decade uh, till 08, 09, something like that, that, that Early on, I whitewashed as in, okay, I do believe I'm an alcoholic. I identify with these people. I understand. Nobody's ever explained this to me before the way you explain it by telling me about you. Because people stop telling me about me. People my whole life have always told me, well, what are we going to do about Steven? What are we going to do here? How are we going to get here? We've got to get him eligible so he can play. We've gotta, there's always been a, a circle around me figuring out what to do with me and how, and I would just follow along. Yeah, I'll do it. I'm compliant. And I'm not, I'm not, you know, whatever I need to do to get back in there, you guys figure it out and I'll get back in there. And, and so this time was, was different. I thought, okay, that's it. And so from, from then to there, I, you know, I didn't drink for a couple of years. I didn't go to meetings. I didn't understand it. I got out of treatment. I got out of trouble. I've started putting my life back together. Like you said, you, you take the chemicals away um, and, and you're still young, I guess. Uh, you know, I had new energy. It was better. I felt better. Uh, realized I didn't need it. Um, but I didn't replace anything. I didn't, I didn't bring in any, any other kind of solution. There was, all of those things were still there. The fear, the anxiety, the, the worry, the stress, the depression, the, the, all of those things to some degree were still there, but I filled it with work. I, I got my GPA back up. I got back into school. I, got, I had three jobs, two of them on campus, one with a law firm. I, you know, I just hustle, 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 hustle. Um, but then you know, the, the time comes where, well, maybe it wasn't a big deal, you know? I mean, I was able to stop. It took a lot to get me to stop, but, but maybe that wasn't the problem. Um, and then, and then the, the, the stars line up and, and put a drink in my body, and it's like, yeah. And, and I think the trick for, for recovering people who go back to drinking is, for me, I won't speak for everybody, was this idea that I was in control of it. Once I put it in my body, I'm not in charge of when I stop. Um, to some degree, I'm not in charge of when I put it in my body, but it's, it's a basically a sober brain making the decision to take a drink. So to, to that degree, I'm in charge of it, even if I'm not armed enough. I wasn't armed at the time enough to prevent it. It was inevitable. It was coming. And, um, 
so I took that drink and, and, and I wasn't in charge of it. It was two more years and, and more trouble. Uh, and then, but, but then by that time I'd moved to Norman, uh, to, to finish school here. And then two years, within two years, I, I drank the day that, uh, Oklahoma beat Nebraska and took over number one. There was a wedding, friends were in town, went to the football game. And I thought, sure. Went in Rome, right? This right. is, yeah. It's a good uh, excuse to drink. Right. 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 And then that, that, uh, I don't know if it was daily after that, but it was almost daily after that. It was like I'd never stopped. And, and people talk about, uh, you know, your, your disease is just doing, just waiting, you know, it's waiting for you and it's progressing. It's a progressive illness. It's my alcoholism. All of those things are getting worse, even though I'm not actively participating in them. So when I started drinking again, there was two years of growth and it was different this time and it was more intense and it was more all encompassing and it was way easier to push the other things aside, the family, the friends, uh, in favor of, uh, the relief, mm -hmm. the relief. And so, uh, by 2002 is, uh, I'd gotten, I'd had plenty of trouble and, and I got two more DUIs in succession and, and my attorney was very serious and I was really at this point, what just happened? You know, and we're talking about a two year period where I, I can't explain it. Uh, it was, it was a compulsion. I, I could not stop even if I wanted to. And the fact that I couldn't stop made me so depressed. And where are you relationship wise? Have you met your wife yet? No. Are you dating? Are you? No, no. What's your I, social life, family life? So I, I, I met a girl at, in 2000, one of my best friends got married. Um, and I think I'd, I had started drinking again. It was right around the same time and, and I was in their wedding. Um, and, and I met a girl who was one of her bridesmaids, uh, and she was great. Uh, but, but she didn't really know much about, you know, that I you know, had trouble and this, that, the other. And, and she liked to drink and, and didn't seem to have the same issues with it though that I did, you know, it was okay. <laughs> so I, you know, I, that was when it really, her, um, her godfather was a, he could help. He was an attorney and he could help. So as that happened, um, that was where I was relationship wise. I was, I was in a, in a relationship with someone that I wasn't sure. We didn't talk about marriage. We didn't talk about, you know, it was just, you know, glad we met, we're having fun. Um, and, and that was, I was 20, to my mid twenties by then. Um, but people around me are doing that. They're getting married. They're right. graduating. They're moving on. They're going to law school. You know, they're well, going, people to, are going to weddings. People, <laughs> people are partying right. and we're going to football games. Sure. On the outside, it just seems like what everybody's, what everybody else is doing. Absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't. I mean, I was in the same circle. Uh, I just wasn't, uh, I had a different day job, I guess. Uh, and, and there was a whole lot more going on in my brain that I, that I didn't know about. And I, I, I talked to my mom about it and she had talked to me about depression. And so I, I started taking some stuff for depression and um, that wasn't, that wasn't the primary problem, you know, taking depression medication and drinking alcohol. Um, the, the alcohol has got to be gone first before you can treat anything else. And I don't, I'll speak for everyone. That's just a, you, you, I don't think an alcoholic person can effectively treat anything outside of their alcoholism while they're active in their alcoholism. Right. Uh, that's got to be arrested first. That thing's got to be finished and gone. And, and um, a, a clear brain can then address with professional help the other stuff. Um, so 
relationship-wise, so I got sober July 15th of 2002. Again, and this time it was different. It was, I'd had the trial run, I'd had the 98, I'd had the 98 to 02 of, I've seen what you guys are talking about. I'm thoroughly, completely convinced I'm an alcoholic. That's what it is. And if that's the case, that's good news. Because I thought I was crazy. I thought I was lazy. I thought I was uh, kind of worthless. I thought I was going nowhere, I, which to some degree, you know, uh, the record shows that. So did you kind of find um, an identity in Absolutely. alcoholism? Absolutely. Absolutely. It made sense to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it gave me hope. There's, they, they talk about that pink cloud. And when I, when I, I was, because I was done, I, I moved out of my apartment. I, you know, I was, I was in trouble and I'm too old to ask my parents for help. And I had to ask my parents for help. I said, I don't know what to do. And they said, well, of course, we'll help you. We've been trying to do this for a long time. Um, and so, so that was kind of, that was the first big turnaround. And uh, I embraced the principle. Things turned around. And I, I really, I, I was a different person. Now, there's still the, the mental health stuff there that hasn't really been, it, it wasn't affecting me. You know, there was this other, this new way of life, a spiritual way of life that had really, uh, I, I, I reconnected with God. I think, I think that for me, for the first time that, that the first time that I actually stayed sober long enough, lived differently, build a foundation, and I'm talking about years, you know, not just year one and I'm good. It's it's years of rebuilding this new life and this new identity, living a different way, living by principle. Uh, most alcoholics embrace it because it's it's such it's so refreshing and it's so inspiring and it's so uh, you're you're relieved because so many of these things that you thought were true about you. The problem is I react differently to alcohol. Well, that's way different than the problem is I'm a complete waste of time and I'm a loser and I'm a this and I'm a that. There's, a, there's an explanation for it. Alcohol acts on my body different than it acts on his body. That's why he did it that way. And when I did it that way, I tanked and he graduated. You know, but everybody has their things. And if I take the drugs and the alcohol away, I'm going to act out in different ways. And um, because it comes down to I'm not okay with Caleb. You know, how can I be okay with Caleb? And um, for some, that's alcohol and drugs, you know, and those are things that are so easily to become physically dependent upon, um, you know, and it's because they do cause, you know, 10, 20 times, you know, the, the release of, you know, dopamine in the brain than something naturally does, like, I don't know, eating something that tastes good, you know, because that does release you know, this chemical in, in my brain um, that makes me feel good. But it's nothing comparable to cocaine, alcohol, you know, heroin. It's just copious amounts of that chemical, you know, being dumped instantly, basically. And so when you have someone who's not okay with themselves and you add that to the equation, it's so easy to, um, you know, the alcoholic brain just reacts differently. And um, whether it's gambling, whether it's sex, whether it's... Um, you know, spending, uh, yeah, spending money recklessly, and you see that so much with al- alcoholics and early sobriety, and even you know with years of sobriety. Um, I struggle with, you know, other things, you know, that financial situation, you know, and spending money recklessly. I struggle with that for you know several years into my own sobriety, and still struggle with that today, you know, and um, so that is all things that I have to, you know, it's so pertinent that I work on my personal program so that I I don't act out because today it's not so much oh I want to go get used or drink you know it might 
I want to go buy something to make myself feel better. Or, um, you know, that pretty girl is going to make me feel better. Or whatever the situation may be. And you see a lot of people struggle with gambling in early recovery and sobriety. Um, and so um, it ultimately comes down to I'm not okay with myself. And a lot of people, it's so easy to get caught up with alcohol or drugs, you know, for people who think like that severely, you know. Why do I feel bad, right? So everything is about that makes me feel better, that makes me feel better. The crux of the problem is why don't I feel okay to start with, right? What's missing? Well, you can figure out what's missing by what fixes it when you add it, right? So is there a, is there a dopamine deficiency? Why does, why does adding more dopamine do more for me than it does for you? So chocolate is fantastic for me. It's for a lot of people, you know. Um, and not why for does, me. Why does it have a greater effect? Well, I must have a greater need. Yeah. What does chocolate do? So what does alcohol do when I enter it, put it into my body? Uh, what does it give me that it doesn't give you? Well, there, that must not already be there. Well, why is it such a greater? Why right. is it such a greater thing for me? Yeah, if somebody who craves chocolate all the time, and I'm like, that's so weird. Like, right. I don't have a sweet tooth. And well, then it's the same thing. The same thing can be said about alcohol. I believe so. I believe so, and I believe you know. I don't want to uh, get into a controversial thing here, but it's it's it seems pretty simple that. Um, if my solution is this, so in recovery, we talk about the solution. Step two is, uh, so our problem is lack of power. What's the solution is a power. So if the power is God as I understand him, then there must have been a lack of that in the first place, right? Or kind of working backwards, if, if, if I add something to me and it solves the problem, then that's what was missing. Right, and so now maybe not the only thing that was missing, um, and and that's where I don't want to get off into a thing that I'm I'm a, I'm a believer, uh, I, I am, and I, I believe in I believe in God. I grew up that way, um, and and it, at risk of turning people off, you know that is my faith, and that that's what what I've always had. My depression, um, my anxiety. Um, I've been diagnosed with ADHD now because my kids did right. So my kids, we figuring stuff out, and then so comes from a parent we had a pretty good idea who it was and so so I did the testing yeah and so then there's that right so there's that whole component um I think that there's science uh and and the human so so uh one solution is a great so is the solution for my sobriety there's no doubt uh I I have found a spiritual way of life uh, I'm active in church I'm active in uh, in in AA, I'm active in, in you know twelve-step recovery program. I'm, I'm active in a lot of ways, uh, but those things—the good feelings, the the service work, those opportunities—do uh, not address attention deficit disorder. And it's it's scientific um, causes and conditions. And and those things now they keep them at bay a little bit, but they also don't address um, they they. It can keep me away from depression, but it doesn't. The, 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 the chemistry is still there. Um, helping someone turn their life around does not alter my brain chemistry to the degree that I don't still need to treat those things. 
it, it is a treatment for it. It is a right now, right here treatment, but it doesn't last. It goes away. I've either got to move up to a mountaintop <laughs> or I have to devote my life to service and nothing else and serve 24 seven to stay okay. Or I also need to seek some outside help. And I think that, that our, our, the literature talks about that a lot, that this is not, um, this is not a, this is not a cure all for everything. What it is is a cure all for your alcoholism. This is, this is a program designed to treat uh, chronic alcoholics and it's a program for living. It's a design for living that if followed uh, to the T on a daily basis, an hour at a time, a day at a time, um, can ensure sobriety, no doubt about it, but it can ensure never being depressed. It can't ensure the other stuff. So those things, they go hand in hand. And when I said that earlier, I, I think that there's a hundred percent chance that anyone struggling with an addiction or to, whether it's alcohol, drugs, uh, that has got to be the centerpiece. That's got to be addressed first. And that's got to be um, treated and well-treated uh, with, with the cooperation of the, pra of the patient, right? And we've got to adopt that way of life and then start to sort out, you know, the other things, the whys. Why this? Why that? In the beginning, why doesn't matter. Right. It doesn't. It's not even on the table. It's not even on the table. It's let's get this arrested. And, and, and it is a perfect solution. And, and growth and development of a spiritual condition um, have saved my life. I did it this morning. I woke up and I, I prayed and I meditated and I'm, you know, people have their own practices for that. I've got one that's, that's working better for me now than it did last week. Like we talked, I, a, a new level of that. Uh, but I also, I also see a therapist, you know, and I also seek outside help because there's more going on. Um, so the original question I believe was, you know, why, why is it different? Why, why is it different for me than it is for you? And I think it's got to do with the body. I mean, I think it really does have to do with the human body. And, and so what, what makes mine up leaves me without some things that you have. There, I, would, I would wager that you, uh, Carol, and, and other people out there have some struggles that I look at and go, what the heck? Why? Just go. Just do it. Just, you know, it doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't right. compute. However, I've, I've developed a great deal of empathy. I understand if there's something going on and you can't explain it, I get it. Yeah, I get it. It's a struggle. It's a struggle. Just because it's not a struggle for me doesn't right. mean you should just get over it. Right. It means you need to process it. You need to deal with it. There's a lot more we need to get to. Sure. I mean, we're still not married yet. <laughs> we're not married we yet. We haven't had kids We're yet. about to meet the girl, though. Yeah, we're, we're about, about to meet, meet the, girl. the girl. What a cliffhanger. <laughs> like, we've, yeah. we've got 16 years. That's a, that's a great so. place to Today's podcast is brought to you by the Virtue Center. Hope Ahead is produced by The Virtue Center and edited by Caleb Kusmeyer. To share your story, sponsor a podcast, or to contribute to the work of The Virtue Center, please contact Blossom Cruz at bcruz at thevirtuecenter.org. That's B-C-R-E-W-S at thevirtuecenter.org.